back with the newest edition of the Pod Warriors. Me and Jordan's special spinoff of the Chick Foley Show where we go deep on whatever topic just happens to be uh, crossing our mind. Tonight we're going to be doing the best finishers in professional wrestling history. Jordan, what's going on, man? Man, I am uh, very excited to do this one. It feels like we've been we haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, we did the SummerSlam recap for Pod Warriors last time, but me and you just haven't chopped one up for a while. So, oh, we did Hasbro. I forgot about that yeah, one. Yeah, we did do like an almost three-hour-long Hasbro episode. I, it was it was so long and so exhausting that I think we both kind of went into a little PTSD, like mini coma afterwards, man. Because that was a, uh, I mean, we, we literally went figure for figure through that whole freaking line. Yeah, I listened back to that over the weekend after we did it. And I was like, Jesus, I feel like I blacked out while we were doing this. I, Dude, I used to go back and listen to all the podcasts when I, uh, when I first started doing it, but I stopped maybe like eight or nine episodes into it. Cause I would just, it would drive me nuts if I would hear like a little like hitch or something or like a little stutter as, as I was talking, like it would drive me crazy all week. So I just, I just blocked it out, man. Do you, do you still listen to most of our pods after we record them? Not all of them. Um, it, especially if I know, like I had, like you just said, a fucked up moment. I'm like, I don't want to listen back to that. <laughs> like there was one, I don't remember if it was a Pod Wars or a Chick Fil A show, but I had like one moment where I swear I like stroked out and I was like stuttering. I'm like, I'm not listening back to that. I had a stroke out moment one time too, man. It was this was a while ago, dude. Like it, it, to let you know, like how self conscious we can be, even if we sound kind of confident on the mic. It was just a random episode and we got to the listener mail and Alex Eubank had asked some kind of question like if you could take a old gimmick and put it with a modern day wrestler now and like for whatever reason the way I don't know if it was the way it was worded or like the way Sheena was reading it dude like my brain just could not fucking process what he was asking and <laughs> I finally was just like I don't really know how to answer this question and Alex was giving me shit about it the next week in the uh, in the Facebook group hey man you can't be asking us some long drawn out questions by that time we're usually an hour and a half in four or five beers in like dude we, we can't be getting all these like hypothetical questions about hey what would you do if this wrestler was booked 45 years ago like dude we don't fucking know we don't know if they were booked 45 minutes ago (laughs) oh yeah uh we want to remind you guys to follow my wife sheena the star of this whole thing at chick foley on instagram and you can go to chickfoley.com to find all things that we're doing um we got a shop over on spring with a ton of great merch You can get links to the podcast, and most importantly, you can get access to our Patreon-exclusive Facebook group. It's a ton of fun in there, so definitely check it out. And we want to remind you guys, as always, use code Chick-Foley to save 10% at Ringside Collectibles. So tonight, we are going to be going over the best finishers in wrestling history. We're going to do our top five favorite singles finishers, our top three favorite tag team finishers, and then... We're going to do uh, some other fun stuff, too. You know, we're going to talk about, like, the worst finishers ever. Um, a couple couple who did it betters. Uh, we're just going to keep it moving and just talk. You know, the finishing move is such a key part of wrestling, and we figured it would be a great topic to uh, to tackle here on the Pod Warriors. So, Jordan, I'll ask you, man, what makes a great finisher? Yeah, so 
I used to think it was just all about it. It has to be some elaborate finish. Like when I was a kid, I, I loved the elaborate finish. Like, and in the eighties, early nineties, they were all about the elaborate finishers. Now, like you got the RKO and stuff and they can just snap it off in two seconds and the match is over. Like, I think you got to combine um, how long the setup is. Cause I, if it's too long of a setup, I mean, it kind of loses its luster to me. Like, even Drew McIntyre, since he started doing the three-two-one thing for the Claymore, it's kind of lost its luster for me. I'd rather just see him do it out of nowhere. Like the camera just comes back up and he's doing a Claymore. Like I don't need the three-two-one count. Um, but it, it's got to look devastating to me too. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and act like somebody just doing a power slam is what should end a match. You know, like a body slam's not ending a match in 2022, right? So. As the years have gone on, my uh, my um, belief in what actually can be a finisher has really gotten kayfabed. Yeah, I feel you on that. When I was the same as a kid, the more like crazy the finishers was, they uh, they would really kind of stick in my mind. But as I've become a more you know cultured wrestling fan now, I look for a lot of the same things you did. I do like the uh, the kind of out of nowhere finishing moves, but I like a little bit of, of pageantry with it also. Even though nowadays, if you get an elaborate setup, when you do your whole warm up shtick, it almost never hits. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I've ever seen Randy Orton hit the RKO when he does his whole like pound the mat stuff. It almost always gets countered and. There's a few other, uh, you know, a few other similar examples like that. Um, for me, I was looking for something that looks devastating, like you said. But I also keeping it kayfabe. It had to be something that I've seen work in the biggest moments, like you know, WrestleMania main events, World Championship wins. I need to know that this thing can get the job done when the stakes are the highest. So that was kind of uh, kind of my methodology looking at this thing. Um, you ready to get into our countdown? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we are going to start with Jordan's. Number five pick. I went with the. Oh, oh, I got you some sound effects oh, going, man. Jesus, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> this is cool. The leader of the new generation. Diesel. I'm going to let that run for a second. All right, and the reason I want to let that run for a second, something that kind of just dawned on me as I was putting the show together today, tell me that song doesn't sound exactly like the theme from Roseanne. It does. I never noticed that. <laughs> What's this beat drops, man? <laughs> wow. Tell me you can see Kevin Nash walking down to the ring, hair blowing, looking like a million bucks, dragging the winged eagle world championship behind him while the uh, the Arnolds are passing the mashed potatoes around the table. <laughs> That's great. It does sound exactly like it. This is the kind of insight you're only going to get on the Pod Warriors, folks. But but yeah, as I was when I was stitching that together today, I was like, where have I heard that before? And I was like, oh yeah, Roseanne. W- were you a Roseanne fan back in the day, Jordan? Uh, I mean, my family definitely watched it. It wasn't my favorite thing, but it was definitely on every Friday yeah. night. We watched it. The one thing that sticks out to me about Roseanne when I go back now, most of the sitcoms in the 80s and 90s, they always portrayed the families 
like super like glistening. Everything was great. You know, beautiful house. I really feel like it was like Roseanne and married with children that gave the actual realistic look at like that, the lower middle class lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Married with children definitely brought you back down to earth. Like the dad was a shoe salesman, uh, former football glory. Like this is really hitting home now. <laughs> Looking back now, though, it's like, dude, how did these folks on a single income where the dad just worked at the freaking shoe store afford that big two story house in the Chicago suburbs? I don't know. It was probably like twenty thousand dollars back then. I, I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> buying houses in the late 80s. Seth. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to uh, wrestling and get out of the uh, 80s sitcom world. Tell us why you picked Diesel's Jackknife for your number five finisher. Yeah, so. I loved this move when I was a kid. Um, this is always a move that, um, keeping it real, like when I was a kid and we'd play outside in the snow, this was always a move I would hit on my friends when we were in the snow. Um, I just feel like his jackknife, his power bomb, is just so much more devastating. Like, he gives so much more force to it, and he just drops you out of the sky, basically. Like, he ain't following you to the ground. You're just getting straight up dropped. Like, whenever he would powerbomb, like, one of the cruiserweights, like, Ray or something, like, they're just straight up getting dropped off his seven-foot shoulders right to the ground. So, I always just felt like his was more devastating because it always felt like it packed more of a punch to me than just your normal, everyday powerbomb. Yeah, I was, I was, again, I was doing some YouTube research this afternoon, and that is, you, you nailed it, man. That was the one thing he did different. He didn't do, like, the bend over to slam all the way down. He would typically stay standing up and just basically throw them down with his arms. That's what said the jackknife, just slightly different from some of the other uh, big power bombs out there. Uh, who, do you got anybody else whose power bomb you were a big fan of? Um, so, currently, uh, KO's pop-up powerbomb is probably my current favorite for powerbomb. Um, I was a big fan of the Batista bomb, the Liger bomb. I mean, y- you can't really go wrong with a powerbomb, man. It's just, it's such an iconic move. It's it's awesome, and yeah, I- I've always loved the powerbomb. Yeah, I-, I was always a big fan of Vader's as a kid, just because he was so big, this grizzly bear. and it- it- Anything Vader did always looked like it would hurt like hell, so uh, he's probably my next favorite behind... Uh, behind Kevin Nash, but uh, we said we was going to keep it, you know, keep it kayfabe. You got to remember Kevin Nash used this move to win two big world championships. He powerbombed Bob Backlund to win the WWF championship in 1994 in about eight seconds. And he also ended Goldberg's streak as Kevin Nash. They were still calling it the jackknife. Um, you know, that was one of the biggest streaks in wrestling history, aside from maybe Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. I think Goldberg's was it. And the jackknife powerbomb was the move that finally ended it. After getting hit by a cattle prod by Scott Hall, but we won't talk about that, right? Gemantics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to stick with the new generation for my number five pick. And Scott Powers. Oh! My goodness. 568 pounds of this mammoth athlete. Here is Boy, is he focused. Yeah, I had to go with the two-time WWF champ, the dearly departed Yokozuna's bonsai drop. Uh, Jordan, were you surprised to see this one pop up on my list? I was a little surprised when I saw this, so I'm I'm really curious to hear your explanation of this one because this was the only one that I was like, all right, I can't wait to hear him tell this one. So my other four were real kind of shoe ins. I had my the, the next four I had on the list were like locks, like I those popped to mind immediately, and I was really searching for number five. There were a few modern day moves that popped in my head, but 
one thing really starting around like 2000, 2001, 2002, finishers started to get a lot more watered down. Like in the big matches, typically you'd see people kicking out of two or three of them sometimes. And um, that used to be something that was really reserved for like a WrestleMania main event or at least a WrestleMania match, seeing someone kick out of a finisher. So I was thinking like, you know, 1999 and before. And then I was like, what was always one that looked like just devastating? And I don't think I ever saw anybody kick out of the bonsai drop, man. So bonsai drop was my pick. If you go on YouTube and just look up like some bonsai drop compilations, you see some of these jobbers that Yoko didn't give a shit about. He straight up flattens them. Like, I'm sure some of these guys have, like, organs rearranged from getting hit by this move. This dude's 500, 600 pounds, climbing up on the second rope and just dropping down ass first right on their chest. Um, you know, as far as shoot goes, there's not a lot of moves I can think of that would be more devastating than that one. So that was kind of my thoughts on, on putting Yoko on the list. I mean, it's definitely a good choice. Uh, I always appreciate a good big guy move and, yeah, you're right. I don't ever remember anyone kicking out of this. Do you have any other great like big man finishers that uh, that kind of stick in your mind, Jordan? So there's two that really stick to me. So the Vader bomb is one, which I still yeah. to this day have no idea how he did that. Like he got some serious air on that thing. Yeah, there there it wasn't. He was never cheated out of one to one of those. He always got up and over. I mean, it was always incredible. And then. I love the Bam Bam Bigelow uh, diving head, but I, I, that yeah. just always hits for me. Yeah, Bam Bam and Vader were real innovators being guys that size. Both those guys had solid moonsaults, too. Mm-hmm. The uh, the other big guy finisher that stuck out to me always was Earthquake's uh, Earthquake Splash, which was kind of like a running bonsai drop on the ground. But I just remember when Earthquake flattened Hulk on the Brother Love show back in 1990. I thought Hulk was dead. I thought he was done for. <laughs> and then he sits on the snake years later. Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. really great. Yeah, he took took Hogan out and then he killed Damien and then made Quake burgers out of uh, out of poor Damien. So, yeah, that dastardly Earthquake had, uh, he, you know, that was a, a hell of a move that he had there. And it was always a good setup jumping around the ring, you know, with the, the shake and the Richter scale. That's one of the setups I didn't mind, but the only thing that, like, now you think back to it, like, him jumping around the ring, how the hell did the guy just never roll out of the ring when he started doing that? Like, dead giveaway, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty, there's a lot of things like that. Like, that's what I said about <laughs> Seth Rollins, dude. Like, if you're fighting Seth Rollins, just never allow yourself to be in a position where you're, like, on all fours or, like, bent over. That's You can avoid the Yikes. curb stomp, dude. Like, just, <laughs> yeah, pause, <laughs> phrasing. But seriously, man, like, there's literally a limited amount of freaking, you know, ways you could position yourself where he could hit his finisher on you, man. So just avoid those and you'd be safe. But... We're not going to introduce logic to a uh, illogical situation. Jordan, you ready to talk about your number four pick? I am. I don't know if you meant to do it, but you almost perfectly timed up the pop of that uh, beer can with uh, with Brock's music right there. Couldn't that was work. pretty impressive. Couldn't work any better. Tell us why Brock Lesnar's F5 is your number four move. So I was not thinking the way you are, but I'm glad I put this as my number four now because this move ended the greatest streak in wrestling history, right? Like, Good point. I mean, seriously, like if you want to talk about a big time move that had a big time moment, this is it. Like the dude has been in so many WrestleMania main events with this moves. Granted, he hasn't won them all, but I mean, we obviously know Brock has been there for a ton of big matches. And like I said, he ended the streak with this. I love this move. I just, 
and he can do it to everybody. I think that was the most impressive thing is the first time you saw him put Big Show in it. It was like, what the hell is he doing, man? There's no way he's going to get him up for this. Now, granted, it didn't look as impressive as when he throws Rey Mysterio off the top of his shoulders, but it's still pretty damn cool. Um, the other thing about this move is depending on what kind of mood he's in, you don't know how you're going to land. You can land on your side, your back, your head, your face. Like That's the thing. If you go back and watch him, there, nobody's ever landing the same in each one of his matches, like everybody always lands different. So I, I love this move. So I guess that brings me to my big hang up with the F5. Like you're right. Sometimes people have some wonky landings, but for the most part, they spin around and hit a pancake down like on their belly and chest. Like explain to me in like, why does this move hurt? I mean, dude, it, uh, big tree fall hard, man. 300 pounds <laughs> getting thrown up in there and falling on the ground. It ain't going to feel good, dude. And like Ray Mysterio is getting thrown way higher than anyone else. So I don't know, man, falling on your face in a wrestling mat can't feel good. So again, we're yeah. not going to introduce logic into this Seth. Let's relax a little here. Fair enough. And I will say that it does. It is a great looking move, man. Just the the spinning F5, uh, you know, for the, the tornado or whatever. It, it is a very cool visual. So I will, uh, I, I guess I'll allow it, man. Um, my It strolls right into my pick for my number four finisher. The man who took probably the most famous F5 ever, The Undertaker's Tombstone. Uh, I remember seeing this move when Taker first debuted back in 1990, and it was just insane, the... Um, the, the level of impact this thing had. Because if it was a big star, Taker would show a little bit of TLC. Kind of the same like you said with Brock Lesnar. Depending on who it was, they got a different version. Go back and watch some of these jobbers, man. That Undertaker was given this uh, this Tombstone 2 on the way up. He was straight up planting these motherfuckers on top of their head. So it, it's funny you bring that up because, yeah, in the 90s, this move, I mean, you knew when you got Tombstone, the match was over. As you said, after 2002, there was really no move that they protected. I mean, people kicked out of the tombstone. Hell, didn't Sean kick out of three of them at WrestleMania? Like, they they didn't protect these moves anymore. This is my only problem with this move, and this was an honorable mention for me. After about 2005, when they kind of banned pile drivers, he started holding them up really high, and if they did a bad angle, like, I mean, it literally did nothing. Like, the move literally did nothing. So yeah, it kind of hurt it the longer it went on. I felt like the other thing is Kane started using it also. Like I feel like that kind of took away just because it it wasn't as unique as it used to be when when Undertaker was doing. It. Now you had two guys that were megastars that were both using this uh, this same move. You know, I feel like um, he, I mean, granted he did go with a different gimmick when he was Biker Taker, but I feel like that's why he started doing the last ride for whatever that was a three year run because they really were not doing pile drivers at that point. So I just felt like they wanted to give it a different aesthetic. And then he went back to it after he was done with biker take. So, I mean, I I still love the move in the nineties. It looked badass. It just got watered down in the two thousands. Last ride was a good finisher. Also, man, any, any at hell's gate that he was using for a while, that submission. So undertaker's always been pretty blessed with a solid finish, but, but yeah, tombstones number four for me, he used it to beat Hulk Hogan with the assistance of a steel chair at survivor series 91 for the world title. And he used it to beat psycho Sid for the world championship at WrestleMania 13. So it has brought him some gold over the years as well. Let's get into our number three favorite tag team finisher of all time. And we'll start with Jordan's. Say yeah. 
How great would it be if they could bring this music over to AEW? Oh god, I love this theme. I thought this was so awesome. We go on. I do, oh, just, I do like their AEW oh, music though too. It's grown on me a lot. Yeah, I like it. It's got like some serious like Midnight Express vibes. I feel like it'd be great if they could like have both. You know what I mean? Like sometimes use the 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 Midnight Express like retro type theme, and then sometimes you know if they're going out for a fight, use the old uh, the Southern Pride song. But Jordan, tell us why the uh, the Shatter Machine slash the Big Rig is your number three favorite tag team finisher. So you know, like they say, like you remember where you were when you saw certain things, like. I remember where I was watching this when I first saw them do this move. Like, dude, the Shatter Machine is just such a cool finisher. And <clears throat> speaking of a finisher that's lights out, I mean, people don't kick out of this. This It's over when they hit this. Like, this isn't like uh, we need to run this back three times. Like, when they hit Shatter Machine, you know it's lights out. So, yeah, I just I love this move. I'm a big tag team wrestling fan, and I felt like these guys just, I didn't I didn't love them um on their main roster run in WWE. So I, I mean I like them a lot now with another FTR. It's just I, I don't know, man. It, with the tag team in this move, I just I love this move. So Yeah, their main roster run was really in the dark ages for tag team wrestling in WWE, which is a shame because did like these guys are the biggest reason why we need to revisit that greatest tag teams ever series of episodes that we did early last year, which you guys can find in the archives if you want to go listen. Cause I think we had them, I want to say they were like low twenties, like high teens, but they they're probably like up top five, top six all time at this point with the run that they've been on in the last year and change. Um, yeah, I mean, you could debate where they're at, but th- you're right. They are definitely in the top five to me at this point. Uh, what, so they did change the name to honor Brody Lee after he passed away and they start calling it the big rig, which name do you prefer for this move, Jordan, the shatter machine or the big rig? Cause that's something we didn't mention, man, a nice name that really sounds cool and sums up what you're doing. That goes a long way to making a great finisher. Also, I think both of these names are great. I think big rig is great because of what they're doing. They're honoring their friend, but dude, shatter machine is such a badass name for a finisher. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of great names for finishers, my number three is the Heart Attack. It's H-A-R-T by the Heart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. I don't think this would really be a finisher nowadays just because it is kind of low-key with some of the crazy stuff we've seen from teams like the Young Bucks and and the Usos. But uh, this move freaking rocked back in the day, man. They... uh, if you just hear the description, you know, Jim Neidhart picks him up in the spine buster position and Brett hits a running clothesline and it doesn't sound the greatest. But Brett, this is when he was still at his like peak athleticism. He got some serious speed, man. Like he was sprinting on those ropes and would just damn near take somebody's head off the way he hit that clothesline. And it just had a really, really cool look, man. What, what's your thoughts on the heart attack? I love this finisher. Um, it, like you said, nowadays it probably wouldn't work because it just, I mean, it is what it is. But in the 90s, yeah, man, it didn't get any better than this. Yeah, I. Uh, if you got any opportunity, you're bored on a, on a Friday, Saturday night, and just looking to wind down after some drinking and firing up Peacock, look up some old Heart Foundation matches, man. These guys did not have a bad match. It's a reason why they are up at the top of almost any greatest tag team ever list because they just perfectly complemented each other, and they really had some revolutionary offense for what they were doing back in the day. Those guys in the uh, the British Bulldogs, any match you can find of those two, it's it's going to be great. Let's have our beverage break.
such a great song. Kanye's first one, hitting it big. We're, we're slowly but surely working our way all the way through College Dropout, man. We're going to get there. We just got to keep running off these episodes. I know we promised people that we're going to get these out more and more, but we are. We're, we're working on it. Just life is busy. <laughs> Hell yeah. What uh, Once it gets cold, the kids got less extracurriculars going on, man. We'll, we'll be in a lot better shape, dude. Uh, what are you drinking tonight, man? So I am drinking a beer called Cubby Gummy. It's from Noon Whistle Brewing Company. Um, it's in Lompard, Illinois, right outside Chicago. So I got this last time I went to Chicago. It's a Northeast uh, IPA. Very good. Um, double hopped. It's it's very good. Nice. You got a, you got a cooler behind you with like variety packs set up, or are you just pounding these all night? Just got four of these. Nice, dude. I got, I got a little variety pack going, so I'll give you guys a running commentary. Right now, I'm doing the good old-fashioned Bud Light, which I almost never drink, but my dad likes Bud Light, and he was here about a week and a half ago and stocked up on some, so I'm kind of just working my way through what was left over after he rolled out. I don't hate Bud Light. Like, I'll drink it. I'm not somebody that's like, oh, Bud Light sucks, but if I would rather, if if I'm drinking like a macro brew, you know, as opposed to a micro brew, I'm going, uh, I'm going Miller Lite or Bush Light before I reach for the Bud. Yeah, Bud Light used to be like my favorite beer, and I don't know what happened, but I started getting into um, Bush Light more and Miller Light, and yeah, man, I just, I don't do Bud Light very often anymore unless I have to at like a concert or something. Dude, I don't know if like, if this is accurate or if my palate's just way out of tune. To me, Bud Light's too sweet, man. Yep. Like, I I get like a little hint of sweetness off Bud Light that I don't get off of really any other, like any of the other, like just loggers, like, you know, Miller Light or Bush and that's why I take those two. I will take Bud over Coors Light because to me, Coors Light's like beer flavored water, man. Like I, I feel like I'm not even drinking beer when I drink Coors. It is water. I mean, it's 100% water. It's great if it's like really hot outside and you're at a concert because, I mean, you're washing down some water while you're sweating it all out. Yeah. We got to pay $9 for it, so it's not that great. <laughs> all right. Here is Jordan's number three pick. Man, after all these years, that still hits. Jordan, tell us why the RKO is your number three uh, favorite finisher. So I talked about not liking the long setups. And, and like Seth said, anytime Randy Orton has like a long setup, he never hits the RKO. It, He's going to that place, Maggle. <laughs> the RKO is always supposed to be like instant, like you're cooked. Like it just comes out of nowhere. So I love this move. Um, obviously, DDP created the move when he did the diamond cutter. Uh, he obviously took a little bit longer to set it up than our Orton does. I mean, Orton literally just snaps it off in two seconds. DDP had to throw up the diamond. He had to do all that shit and then throw up the diamond cutter. But yeah, man, this this move is just awesome. It doesn't look like the most devastating move ever always, but still pretty badass. Yeah, D- DDP, he, still, he would hit it out of nowhere, but he's talked about it on his podcast. He was really inspired by Jake's DDT. So you would still get that like half second of setup where he'd get him in like the kind of reverse face lock down on his shoulder. And you'd, you'd see it coming for that split second before he'd hit it, you know, whereas, yeah, Randy Orton just snaps that thing off, man. So are you, I, I take it that you're RKO over the diamond cutter? I am RKO over the diamond cutter. Yeah. But, I mean, we wouldn't have the RKO if it wasn't for the diamond cutter. So we have to give DDP his flowers. Yeah, same. And Randy Orton's such a just freak athlete, man. Like, you know, DDP, sometimes he would get a little bit of air on it. But for the most part, you know, the most he would ever do, it looked like maybe he was hitting a sort of bulldog. Randy Orton gets some serious air off his RKO sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 
the some of the ones he snapped off, which I'm, I'm sure you're going to ask me about. Um, but yeah, dude, he's he's done some pretty awesome RKOs. Which is what is your favorite RKO ever? I mean, dude, we were there live, so it's pretty tough to beat the Seth Rollins one. That one was freaking amazing. Uh, yeah. cl- close second would be Evan Bourne when he was doing the shooting star press and he got caught in it. The one on Seth was my favorite because that was just so perfectly executed, man. Like, it really was like the absolute greatest counter to the curb stomp ever. Seth got some crazy air when he jumped off Randy's back and Randy just hit it perfect. It's pretty wild because they talked about on a lot of the uh, behind the scenes documentaries that they practiced it a handful of times and they could never quite nail it to the point to where Randy Orton actually didn't want to do it because he li- he likes to bat a thousand. You know, he likes to be perfect in his matches. Um but Seth talked them into taking a risk, and they hit it in the ring better than better than ever. That was my number one until uh, TLC two thousand. Uh, yeah, it was just TLC two thousand when the Fiend um, got set on fire, dude. And we saw the flaming RKO. That one was just insane to me. Even though it was in the you know the the Thunderdome, that kind of like weird era. I just love that visual of the fiend first off being completely engulfed in flames and then taking an RKO. So that's my all time favorite. First of all, you definitely just fucked up because you said TLC 2000, which that is incorrect. How about two, what show th- was that? 2020, you jackass. 2000 was 22 years oh, ago. You know what I meant, man. You know what I meant, dude. <laughs> I was like, bro, no. I was like, 2000. I was like, Randy Orton did a... Whatever year it was, there there was a bunch of twos and a bunch of zeros (laughs) in the year, man. Nobody cares about the specifics. But yeah, the uh, the flaming fiend one that that was that one was my favorite. My son just loved watching that match for the longest time. He'd always want to see the uh, the the Firefly Inferno match, is what he'd call that one. I bet he did love it. I'm wondering why. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah we always like seeing bray wyatt lose around here jordan's just such a bray wyatt diehard shut up move to your next one all right my number three i think i'm cute i know i'm sexy i've got the looks how awkward is it nowadays when sean still comes out to the sexy boy theme it's not good. They need to come up with an old man Sean theme. Like, I'm just an old man. Old man. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I think, you know what I think they need to do, man? That it, it would still work. Just take the lyrics out of it, dude. Just give us the instrumental version. You know yeah, what I mean? We don't need to be hearing Sexy Boy when 65-year-old Sean Michaels walks to the ring. Yeah, he's talking about, I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. <laughs> he looks like Troy from Grand Theft Auto Five, dude. Like... <laughs> I am very proud of you that you got your favorite wrestler in here, though. Oh, don't even don't get me started. I will say I have my as I've been going back over the last few years and rewatching, you know, the the nineties WWF. I have grown in my appreciation for Shawn Michaels, dude. I uh, even though he was a royal cunt to Bret Hart and <laughs> wow caused so much shit, you know, led to the Montreal. They, the crazy thing about the Montreal screw job, man, Vince went through all that trouble and had so much heartburn about, you know, who to pick between Bret and Sean. And Sean was gone four months later, man. Yeah. It, it's just not a good look as the years go on. It wasn't a good look when it happened. It's getting worse as the years go by. Yeah. The whole situation was, was bad all the way around, but Strictly off in-ring and entertainment value, Shawn Michaels is definitely one of a kind. Um, he's, he's you know, he's climbing up my ranks of all-time favorites, man, as the years go by. And I'm forgiven a little bit of the uh, the sins of those days. But we're here to talk about his finisher, 
Sweet Chin music. It's kind of funny because he used this move in the Rockers. And even at the start of his solo run, this was like a setup move. Like if you watch some of the early heel Shawn Michaels matches from from 1992, uh, you would see this just busted off in the middle of the match. It's just kind of one of his big moves, but not his finisher. He was using this teardrop back suplex. And it wasn't until 1993 that he really switched to the super kick, um, which would later be known as Sweet Chin music as his finisher. But I love this one. Um, he, he really kind of stopped over the years doing the big elaborate setup, but when he was first coming up, getting his big baby face push, he would do the whole stomp in the corner, you know, tuning up the band. And I thought that was really cool. You know, he, he did the whole setup to get, uh, to beat Brett at WrestleMania 12 in overtime when that goddamn gorilla monsoon screwed Brett and, and made the Iron Man match go to overtime. But, uh, and he could also hit it out of nowhere, you know, which that really became a thing more during his second run when he came back after uh, 2002, they really kind of hyped up that he could get sweet chin music anytime, anywhere. And had some pretty spectacular results on that one. Um, just YouTube, uh, Shawn Michaels, Shelton Benjamin, sweet chin music for a pretty epic one. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, I, I love this move. He used it to beat Brett at WrestleMania 10. He used it to beat Sid at the 1997 Royal Rumble. And he used it to beat Triple H at Elimination Chamber 2002 to win world championships in those matches. So um, another cool chin, probably my favorite sweet chin music. We've talked about this a few times on the pod. In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies from... April 1996, right there in Jordan's uh, hometown, Omaha, Nebraska. He's fighting Diesel in the main event, his first defense of the world championship. And as he's tuning up the band, there's a huge group of kids in the stands that are stomping right along with him. And it's just one of those moments when you see the whole audience behind a baby face is when wrestling's at its best. So I know I went on and on and on about a guy that I supposedly fucking hate, but I really think Sweet Chin Music's a great finisher. And uh, that's why it's number three for me. Jordan, what's your thoughts on, uh, on Sweet Chin? I love this move. The only thing that I don't like about this move is how like common it is now. Like it's it's not even like a setup move. Now it's just a fucking normal move. Just a move. I hate yeah. that, dude. It's such a badass move, and now everyone does it, so it doesn't even look cool anymore. It's just it's so dumb now. But yeah, in the nineties, this was awesome. Yeah, I don't know if it's just the nostalgia glasses or what. It still seems like Sean's hit harder than anybody's. That does it today. I don't know if it was something he was doing or the way guys were selling back then, but yeah, it just seemed like Sean just connected with a lot more impact, man. Um, who do you think has the best super kick out of any of today's wrestlers? Um, I mean, the Bucks do a pretty damn good super kick. I'm not going to bullshit. Like, everybody was on to rip on them, but their super kick is pretty badass. Yeah, they got a good one. I like Dolph's, dude. I feel like yeah. Dolph can put some stank on that thing, man. He gets some serious thigh slap going. Like that one he hit on Goldberg at uh, SummerSlam 2019, that was a big one. He, he's had some pretty solid uh, super kicks over the years too, man. And he's, you know, he really is kind of like a hybrid of like Billy Gunn, uh, Mr. Perfect, and HBK all rolled up into one. Can throw some stank on it, that's for sure. <laughs> all right. Let's get into our number two tag team finisher we had the same one and now he's visiting dudleyville guess what's coming to the pit of through the table swaggy get the table <laughs> hell yeah man uh that was uh the sound effects of Heath slater going through the table <laughs> with the 3d back on the uh, dudley boys last run in wwe we both had we actually had the same number two and number one for the tag team picks which is to let you know how iconic these moves are. The 3D put away so many people for the championship, put so many people through the table. It looks cool. You you know, 
they could do it to pretty much anybody. I just think it's a really great tag team finisher. It's in the same vein as like the Shatter Machine where one partner's lifting and then kind of dropping them into a move from the second one. So it's basically like a like a flapjack into like a RKO slash diamond cutter type situation. Is that is that how you describe it? Exactly how I describe it. That was so beautifully described by you. The, the, I was trying to get my William Regal on. I love it. The one thing I love about this move is like, dude, they always did this with a table for the most part, which just made it so much more badass when they would do it. It always just made me laugh. Like not even like a no DQ match. And they just let the Dudleys bring a table into 3D <laughs> somebody. It's like, how is this legal? Yeah. It was just the thing, man. It, it's also been nice seeing the Usos bring it back as the, uh, as the one D uh, here the last few months. And they've still protected it, man. Nobody has kicked out of that since the Usos started doing it. It's a great finisher. I mean, for a tag team finisher, it's quick. I mean, it, and again, you can do this one out of nowhere. Yeah, great finisher. Tons of gold. Dudley boys, salute to you guys. Uh, moving into number two for the singles. Jordan, tell us why you have Bret Hart's sharpshooter as your number two. All right, so um, another behind-the-curtain shocking thing. So Seth sent me his top five, and I was like, wait a minute, you have sweet chin music but not the sharpshooter? What the fuck, man? Are you turning heel or something today? Uh, I, I love the sharpshooter when it's done right. It, it looks so, I mean, it, it's just gotta be excruciating being in this move and Bret Hart does it right. I mean, the, the one problem with this move is so many people try to do it and it's done so bad that it takes away from the glory that it once had. It, it does suck watching people do it. They don't know how to do it, but dude, when Bret locked this in, you you weren't getting out of it generally. I mean, unless you were right next to the ropes, you generally weren't getting out of it. Um, and I mean, Brett did it. Who is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. So, what more of a description do I need to give for this? Yeah, good, beautiful man, beautiful. You're actually bringing a tear to my eye right now, <laughs> hearing the love for the sharpshooter. To me, you're right, man. P- people have done it, but Brett's was just the best. Some people try to over- so some people get lazy with it and they like sit down on their ass as they do it. Or some people try to do too much and bend all the way back. Like, dude, you got to do like Brett did and just kind of pop a squat and then just pull back on their legs, man. He talks about it in his book that he used that finisher because he knew like that pose of him holding him in the move would just be iconic. And that was true, man. Like it just, it looked perfect, man. And you could, it was a cool move because you could see, you know, Brett's face was right there on the camera. So he could sell how hard he was locking it in. The opponents could still sell it really well. Like, it was just a great submission finisher. I docked it just because out of Brett's five WWE championship wins, he only used it for the first one. Uh, the first two Intercontinental Championship wins, he he only won it. He only used it for the first one. So, and that's kind of common with submission finishers, yeah. man. It's they've gotten they've used it a little bit more over the last you know ten to fifteen years, but for the longest time, you really wouldn't see a big match in in a fin- in a submission just because it wasn't. It's just not as dramatic as getting a three count, right? Yeah, I, and I see what you're saying with that. It's just, I don't know, man. There's just something about, like, when someone puts on a nice-looking submission hold that's like, dude, how can anyone say that this is not, like, the most painful thing that's going on in this match? Like, there's sometimes it's kind of hard for me to suspend disbelief because it's like, all right, this dude was just in the sharpshooter for five minutes, so he gets out of that somehow and he can wrestle another 20 minutes. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, you know, that was my big problem with 
the finish to WrestleMania 12, if we can bring that up twice in one podcast. You got me started, though. Dude, if they were going to fucking do overtime, it should have been announced from the start, and it should have carried over. There shouldn't have been any fucking stoppage. It just should have went immediately into sudden death. Because, dude, Bret Hart had Shawn Michaels dead to rights, locked in in the center of the ring. HBK wasn't going nowhere. He was either going to submit or he was going to pass out, and Bret would have kept the championship. But they made Bret let go of the hold, man, and then restarted the match. Like, what the hell? dude? Make it make sense. There's no way to make it make sense. It was just this. This was the crappiest way they could do this, and I, I, I've I've still never understood that ending to this day. Like, dude, like you just said, Brett had him beat, and they made him break out the hold. Like, it's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, I, I don't know. That'd be I like, mean, it is that'd be like an NBA game going into overtime. They're like, all right, you got to sit your three best players now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That that match has grown on me over the years, man. As a kid, I didn't like it. I think that was more of an emotional response because Brett lost. And then as the years go by, I was like, ah, it's kind of boring. Now that I'm older, I really kind of like it because they do keep it going for an hour. I think being an Ironman match is actually what fucking hurts it. I think if it was just a regular match and they had to go for an hour, it'd be a little bit better. But, you know, you kind of got the feeling once it got to 10 minutes and it was 0-0 that it was either going to be a tie or, like, one dude was going to get, like, a buzzer beater finish or something, you know? I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on the the WrestleMania 12 Iron Man match, which, you know, probably the most famous Iron Man match ever? First of all, I hate Iron Man matches, so let's get that out of the way right now. I think that's the dumbest match that you can do. Like, dude, you can wrestle an hour and that not be an Iron Man match. We don't need a stipulation on it. Um, so I've just never been a fan of those. I, I'm with you. I, I do like that match. I think it's a tad overrated just because of I, I just don't like the stipulation of the match. Both those guys are great. It's just not my type of match. Yeah, I think they did a good I think they learned a lot of lessons from doing that one because pretty much every Iron Man match since then, they've used like the uh the Survivor Series kayfabe logic where if it's like a Survivor Series elimination match, everybody only starts off with like 75% XP. So you'd see moves that would almost never be a finish start to get finishes, you know, like that one that Seth and Dolph had back in 2018. I think that was like four to three was the final score. And that was a 30 minute Iron Man match, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the problem is like, dude, you want to see action in these matches. So when you're at a one, one tie after an hour, it's like, Jesus Christ, come on guys. Yeah. Um, let's get back to the matter at hand. I know people, I, I think for the most part, our audience loves it when we go on these transgressions on, you know, the fucking, the Roseanne theme song and the WrestleMania 12 finish revisited. Let's get back to it though. Uh, who did this move better, Sting or Bret Hart? I mean, it's, it's definitely Bret Hart. I love Sting, but it's definitely Bret Hart. Yeah, Sting's was pretty good, but he still, it wasn't as good as Brett's, man. And the thing is, I feel like Sting, he had that whole second act of his career where the Scorpion Death Drop was also the finisher, and I like that a lot better than the Scorpion Death Lock for Sting. Agreed. What are some of your other favorite submission finishes? Um, I love the figure four. I think that's a great finish, and it's iconic, and he definitely has beaten a lot of people with that finisher, so... Um, these, those two are the biggest for me. I like the STF when people do it right. I think that's a cool finisher for a submission, but uh, it's down to the figure four and sharpshooter for me. You know, I got a controversial pick, man. I kind of like the figure eight better than the figure four, man. I always thought that was so cool that Charlotte's got this kind of super figure four that she could bust out from time to time to, uh, to get the dub. I don't think that's controversial at all. Honestly, she just took something her dad did and made it even better. 
Yeah, very, uh, very cool move. Dude, when is Charlotte coming back also? This is uh, this is September 14th as we record this. It's been a long time she's been gone. I don't know, but they fucking need her to come back because that women's division is not it's not it right now. They, they definitely need her to come back. Yeah, another favorite finisher of mine, not necessarily for in like in the ring on TV stuff. Um, the the camel clutch, man. I, you talked about moves being the most painful. That was one move that like when me and my little brother would wrestle as kids, the camel clutch was always banned because that move hurt so fucking bad, dude. Yeah. Like sitting on your back and somebody just pulling your chin, <laughs> like bending your whole fucking spinal cord. Like that was the, I, I don't think anything else was ever banned, man. We would do choke slams each other, freaking razor's edge, everything, man. But the camel clutch, that was like, shit got real if somebody tried to put somebody else in the camel clutch. Camel clutch or the Steiner recliner. Can't be doing that. Yeah. What's Rusev's called? What was his called back in the day? Oh God, you would ask me that. Uh, the accolade? Was yep, that it? Yep, that's it. All right, let's go to my number two pick. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, I got the racist piece of shit himself. Really, we really could not have been more polar opposites on our number two picks. You have arguably the greatest technical wrestler of all time with this like super technical submission finish, and I have like the biggest showman ever with just the simple running leg drop. Um, but this is another move that was just iconic, man. Hulk put away a lot of people. One four, one five world champ. No, actually six because he came back and won the uh, one in two thousand two. Won six WWF World Championships with this move. Uh, I, I watched a video today again while I was doing all my research for this. He talked about how he had never really used a leg drop before, and somebody gave him the idea to do it for a finish one time in Japan. This was shortly before he came and made his like main Hulkamania run in WWF, and it got a huge response from the crowd because before that he was using a running axe handle. That was his big finish, like just a you know basically a running two fisted strike uh, is what he would do. Um, but he busted out the leg drop in Japan, and it got a huge reaction. And he just had the idea to bring it to the states, man. Uh, I. Uh, it's just a crazy move. He talked about how that move was so strong in WWF and it was so protected back in the eighties when he was doing it, that anytime he hit it, it was just like lighting a powder keg and you could hear the fans just exploding on it on the one, two, three count of the ref. Uh, and it made for so many memorable moments back there in the height of Hulkamania. So yeah, the, the leg drops it for me, man. Jordan, what, what's your take on this being so high up the list for me? I feel like we should just talk about how much of an incredible piece of shit Hulk Hogan is instead of talking about his finisher because I hate everything Hulk Hogan related now. Like, it's just, it, it has not worn on well. I mean, I, I get this being your one of your top five. I don't get it being number two, but the significance of it, him winning belts with this move, I understand, but I don't know, man. It. I just it, the the fact that he won all these towels with a leg drop is so weird to me, dude. You say that, and if you would have told me this like five or six years ago, I'd agree with you. Go back and watch some of those leg drops, though, dude. Homeboy got some serious air on that leg drop, man. It wasn't like a lazy leg drop. That dude jumped up. It's probably why his back is so fucked nowadays from dropping that leg all those years, man. I think it was a pretty nasty leg drop. So you're telling me that if I do a leg drop to you, you're not kicking out at three. I mean, it depends. Are you getting as much air as the Hulkster did? I mean, goddamn, dude, I'm a big ass dude. That take a lot of work for me to get that much air. I mean, I'm gonna get some air. You hitting me with three big right hands and a, and the big boot? 
it might be, I don't think it, I'm kicking out from that, man. It might be a boot to the chest, but it's still going to be a boot. <laughs> yeah, so that was my controversial pick. Like I said, I'm tying in kayfabe, nostalgia, and this overall success. And I think it's something to be said for taking such a simple move and, and making it that memorable, you know, because like I said, that leg, there was no stronger move in the 80s than the holster leg drop. You're not wrong. All right, number one tag team finish. We both had the same one. You guys heard the music at the start of the show, the Doomsday Device by Legion of Doom, a.k.a. the Road Warriors, a.k.a. Hawk and Animals, where Animal would put them up on the shoulders and Hawk would come off with just a wicked top rope clothesline. They broke a few guys' necks over the years with this thing because the thing, not only was Hawk hitting them with the clothesline, Animal would usually give them a little boost underneath the (laughs) hips, man, and send those fuckers flying. Uh, I never saw anybody even, there wasn't even the hint of a kick out. Nobody kicked out at three. Nobody was, they, they, you're just dead after you took this move. Let's be honest. If, if in the back they told you, Hey, the finish is a doomsday device. Just imagine the thought of even kicking out of it. Those two dudes would have beat the living shit out of you. If you would have tried to kick out of that, like, yeah, these guys were tough guys. I mean, for are, real. are you going to tell those two guys that, Hey, I think we should kick out at two tonight. No, no, no. That doesn't, that doesn't work for me, brother. <laughs> Yeah, there's no kicking out it, too. You're taking this. Like you said, though, dude, this is such a devastating finish. I mean, two monstrous dudes doing this move, too. Just it made it look even more devastating. I mean, Hawk is not a small dude to be flying through the air. And this yeah. dude's doing a flying clothesline while they're while you're up on somebody's shoulders. Like, just devastating move. And I don't know, man. I don't know how anybody can't have this as their number one tag team finisher, like of all time. I mean, I don't even know what would even compare to this, to be completely honest with you. I mean, there's been people who have done some cool shit since then. Like there was like the Steiners, you know, Steiners top rope bulldog. There's been people who have done like doomsday device style moves, but it's just never been the same as the road warriors doing it. You know, like they're, they were so, they were always booked so strong that they seemed unbeatable anyways. And then they have this just incredible finishing move, man, that yeah, you can't, you can't top this as a tag team finish. Just awesome. Yeah. I mean this, this to me, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything. This is my favorite move ever. This isn't going to be my number one on the next thing because we're just doing singles, but um, this is my favorite finisher ever. Yeah, Sharpshooter was mine. Uh, like I said, I know didn't even kinda, have it in your top five. Well, I was th- I was doing best. I was doing my top five favorite. I was doing my top, what in my opinion, the top five best. And like I said, the Sharpshooters didn't get it done when the stakes were the highest. Um, but yeah, this crazy move. Before we get into our what we each agreed was the best finisher ever, let's do our worst picks. What was your worst finisher ever, Jordan? Man, this is tough for me because there's some really bad ones. Um, there are. I gave Seth two. Um, I'll go with this one. The worm. How on earth this was a finishing move is still beyond me to this day. Like, what about this move even tells you that this is a finish? Like, I mean, yeah, I got the crowd jacked, but besides that, what did this move do? He did a, a karate chop to your chest. Like, <laughs> whatever, I guess. I mean, it's kayfabe, so we'll go with it. But this is a terrible move. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it was it was a fun move, but I don't know why it was ever used as a finish, right? Yeah. The uh, I know mine is probably going to start some controversy, man. I'm going with the ultimate splash you by the ultimate warrior. Tongue. I dude, it's to me, it's the it's like the yin to Hogan's leg drops yang, right? Like it was it was the '80s, so you didn't have to have some crazy like you know 
flying freaking superplex German backdrop off the top rope or anything. But I feel like, like I said, Hogan's leg drop, he got some serious air on it. I feel like Warrior's splash was like the laziest move he could have come up with, man. And the dude was super strong. Like, why wasn't he busting out like the jackhammer or something like that back in the day? Or maybe even like a running power slam. I feel like that would have been better for the Warrior. I mean, but he, the, he did a power slam and dropped him around their face right before this. So, great setup. So, so you're saying, so in your mind, it was a gorilla press splash combo was his finisher? Yeah, I mean, he always did it that way. Or, I mean, not always, but the majority of the time, that's how he did it. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely worse finishers. I guess for my worst, I was thinking, like, what was worse in the high profile? Because he did pin Hulk Hogan with the Ultimate Splash at WrestleMania six, So we cannot discount that. But I don't know, man. Looking back, I just feel like I feel like Warrior had everything else. He had the charisma. He had I don't care what anybody says. I think Warrior was a great promo. And obviously, he had an incredible look and entrance. I just wish he would have had a really killer finisher to go along with it. Um, let's, let's do some honorable mentions. For mine, I got one that's kind of in the same vein as the worm. The people's elbow, dude, which I love the people's elbow when it was a move that The Rock kind of did just to be an asshole, like in the middle of the matches. But at some point in time, they switched it and the people's elbow started being a finishing move. And I just never really got that, man. Like they never it didn't look any more devastating than a regular elbow drop. It was always supposed to just be a taunt. But then suddenly they changed it and made that the finish, man. I mean, what's your thoughts on the people's elbow, Jordan? I love the people's elbow. I absolutely hate it as a finish, so I'm 100% with you there. I thought that was the dumbest thing they ever did with The Rock was make this his finish. Yeah, I think he actually ended CM Punk's, like, you know, gear and change long title run with the freaking people's elbow. The thing is, dude, it's a really cool, like, taunting move to rub it in and, you know, oh, I got you so hurt that I can do this whole elaborate setup just to drop an elbow. But he's got rock bottom, which rock bottom is a totally fine finisher, man. Like, there's he should never be ending matches with the people's elbow. Agreed. Do you have any more uh, honorable mentions for worst ever, Jordan? I do indeed. Um, the trip to the Batcave, which was Bastion Booger's finisher, where he basically dropped down your face and teabagged your face for a pin. Pretty awful. <laughs> That's pretty awful. Dude, so I got to be honest. I know what finish you're talking about. That thing was horrible, dude. I never uh, I never knew it was called Trip to the Batcave. When we were <laughs> texting today and you texted me that, because me and Jordan, you know, we text back and forth because we can kind of just at least get our thoughts together so we can kind of start like planning on some, you know, different stuff we want to talk about on the show. When you texted me that today, I thought you were just being sarcastic and that was like an Urban Dictionary act that you had sent me, man, <laughs> when you said the trip to the Batcave was your least favorite finish. I, I don't think it had an actual name, but that's like what I've seen it called on the internet, so we'll just go with it. I don't think it had an actual name. Uh, another honorable mention, Great Khali's Chop that won a world title. Good God. Yeah, dude, you know what else was bad? Do you remember, I think it was also in 2018, when John Cena was using that thing, he called it the lightning punch. Oh, God. Yeah, it wasn't good. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where he would just go in the corner and do his thing and then just punch him? Like, that was horrible, man. Um, there, Yeah, there, there's been a lot of bad finishers over the years. I think the, the things that really make a bad finish to me is if it's something that you can only do to a few people, right? This needs to be something that you, you, you don't necessarily have to be able to do it to every single person, but you need to be able to use this against like 90% of the people you're going to be going against, right? And then something else that requires just a really elaborate setup that like, almost makes you suspend your disbelief a little bit, you know? Yeah, agreed. All right, let's get into our shared number one favorite finisher, or best finisher of all time. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't think there's ever really any doubt on what it was going to be, man. This thing, it was, it really, I think the promo and his interview skills and charisma was the most important part, but I think the stunner was number two for what took Austin to the top, man. It was just a great move. He gets, he could use it against anybody and he did use it against everybody. Um, I just love this move and it's, it was just like the perfect wrestling move, man. It's quick, but it's still, it's not so quick that you don't have enough time to like react and get excited for it and pop for it, man. I just, the stone cold stunner, dude, everybody knows what it is. Even to this day, Jordan, uh, give us your thoughts on the stunner. So when we talked about doing this and we kind of came up with a format, I just wrote at the top of the page stunner. I mean, there was never even a debate on what was number one for this. Like, like you said, just an iconic finish. Uh, the best thing about it is when people would talk about Stone Cold hitting the kick a little low and kicking him in the nuts right before he hit the stunner. So it's like, man, that's a double finish. Like you just got kicked in the nuts and stunned. <laughs> yeah, the uh, he's talked about the kick really adding a lot to it, man, because at first it was just coming out of, out of nowhere and people didn't have a chance to get excited for it. Because if you watch like... He started using it right around King of the Ring time frame in 96. And even the one he does against Bret Hart at Survivor Series 96, there's no kick to the gut. He just does that out of nowhere. And people don't really get that chance to react. It was really that kick to the stomach, man, that that made all the difference in the world. Yeah, so it became a three-part move as it went on. It became uh, middle fingers to the face, then the kick to the gut, then the stunner. Like, it was I, I love this move. I just... Like I said, there there was nothing else that could have been number one for me, and it kind of sounds like you were the exact same as I was. So, yeah, in ring success, iconic. There's a lot of iconic moments, like on just promos and stuff too. Like I still remember the first time he stunned Vince in '97, stunned Sergeant Slaughter. You know, he stunned China uh, in Feb- the February '98 in your house, right for WrestleMania. Just you know, you just gotta love it, man. You c- you can't beat the stunner. No. Uh, you guys, definitely comment. Let us know if you think we got it wrong. What was the best finisher ever? Uh, Jordan, you ready to do some listener mail? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Starting off with Chris Foreman. This ties right in with number one. He says, who had the best Stone Cold Stunner sell? Oh, it's The Rock, 100%. Dude, The Rock made selling the stunner like an art form like he would get stunned and then he would flip over push himself up with his arms and almost go over the ropes like dude it was like an art form for the rock to do this yeah he's definitely the best i would give an honorable mention to scott hall scott hall was pretty over the top (laughs) with it too but but yeah the rock definitely the most iconic the rock it's probably between like him and vince mcmahon for who took the most stunners over the years too huh yeah and it's probably pretty close honestly all right, Charles Johnson. We kind of touched on this one, but we can add to it. Charles, he says, what's the absolute dirt worst finisher you've ever seen? Do you still go with the uh, trip to the Batcave for the worst, Jordan? Yeah, 100%. I'm going to go with Cena's lightning punch, man. That was the dumbest move I'd ever seen because he'd been hyping it up for a while on social media that he was going to bust out a new finisher, and that's what it was. So, yeah, John Cena's lightning punch from circa 2018. Sam Bro says, explain why the pedigree is the greatest finisher of all time. Give us your thoughts on the pedigree, Jordan. Well, let's see here. We did. Uh, we both had five finishers, and it didn't make it on here. Uh, no, it, it's a great finisher. I, I love that finisher, actually, especially when it's done right. I mean, uh, like by Seth Rollins. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that right as I said that. <laughs> the minute the word came out of my mouth, I knew that was coming. Uh, he had a good pedigree, man. He did. Um, I, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about the pedigree. It was an awesome move. Uh, Triple H knew how to do it. 
I mean, even going back to when he was a Greenwich snob, he still did it really well. So, yeah, I, I got nothing wrong with Pedigree. Yeah, Pedigree is a great move, man. Go back and watch Money in the Bank 2016 when Seth counters Roman Reigns' spear into the Pedigree. Probably my all-time favorite one. But, yeah, no, nothing bad about the Pedigree, but it just it doesn't quite make the uh, top 10. If we, if, I think if we were doing top 20 finishers ever, Pedigree would be on the list. What do you think, Jordan? Oh, yeah, 100%. Sambro follows that up with, do you like longer setup finishers or quick out of nowhere finishers? So I like both. If I had to pick, I'll go with out of nowhere though, just because it just gives you that exclamation point on the match. Uh, if we're talking eighties and nineties wrestling, long drawn out setup finishers. If we're talking now out of nowhere. All right. Jordan's Midwest partner in crime. Tony Barker says, what finisher would you utilize if you were a worker and what would you call it to suit your gimmick? Ooh. I mean, I would use some form of a power bomb. I think for my finish, um, as far as name, I don't know. I can't think of a name like you do. That's really putting me on the spot. I don't know. I'll just you're slacking, man. So as a kid, you know, I've always been a Brett the Hitman Hart fan. Even before, even while him and Jim the Anvil were still a tag team, I conveniently enough was play, playing off the Hitman name. My my gimmick when I was a kid was Seth the Sniper Phelps, and my finisher was the Sniper Plex, which was a perfect plex off the top rope. So you basically combine a superplex. With the perfect plex, so you already got them pinned whenever you hit the ground and make impact. So, yeah, the, the sniper plex, man. If any pro wrestlers are listening, feel free to steal that move because I still haven't seen anybody do that um, since then. I'm surprised we haven't seen anybody bust that out. Have you ever seen a top rope fisherman suplex? No, I can't say I have. It can work, right? I don't know why it wouldn't be able to work. I guess maybe you worry about bouncing out of the pinning combination, but I feel like you could make that work. I mean, do you really think you can get a 500-pound wrestler up in that, though? That's going to be the problem. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, you're not going to do it to anybody. But if I'm... I think I could do that to most people, though. Could you do it to me? No. Well, if it was you, I would just bash you over the head with a fucking steel chair, man. (laughs) I wouldn't even bother. (laughs) Jesus. All right. Well, moving on. (laughs) All right. So... Uh, Johnny JB says favorite Oktoberfest beer. He says his is Sam Adams, and if he drinks enough of them, it finishes him off. <laughs> oh, this is a this is an easy one for me. Goose Island Oktoberfest is the king of Oktoberfest beers. Like whenever I see this in the store because it sells out really fast, I usually buy about because it only comes in six packs, so you have to buy about ten of them to get you through September. Nice. I typically don't really like the fallsy beers. Like I'm not a big fan of like pumpkin flavored beers and like the cinnamon and spices and stuff. O'Connor Brewing in Norfolk does a good one every year called Children of the Gourd. It's got a really badass can. It's like, you know, it's basically like a scarecrow with a jack-o'-lantern head. Really cool looking. And it was pretty decent. But in general, I'm not a fan of these beers. Um, We'll make sure that Sheena checks in on the next pod because these are actually like her favorite style beers. So I'm sure she's got some good recommendations uh john swallow says which world champion had the worst finisher i already gave my pick with the ultimate splash jordan which world champ had the worst finisher the great Kali. i gave my answer to it too like that's fucking horrible the the chop to the head was absolutely miserable and how he won a world title is beyond me Zach Hertzler, a.k.a. Zach Squirtzler, says, your favorite finisher scene at a live event. Uh, I'm going with Seth Rollins taking that RKO at WrestleMania 31. Oof. That one's really tough to beat, man. Um, favorite live event. 
God. I'm going to go with uh, Mox hitting the Death Rider on... Um, God, why can't I picture his name right now? Anahashi? Yep, at uh, for- Forbidden Door. Sambro says, is the spear just way overdone now? So yeah, right now in the WWE, we have Roman, Edge, and Braun Breaker, three high-profile guys using the spear as a finisher. Um, I don't know. I mean, it still works. It's still a great finisher, but I would say it is a little bit overdone. I, I think you really only need one top guy using the spear at a time in any organization. What about what, What's your thoughts? So here's my problem with the spear. I think two people mastered it. I mean, you can you can argue this if you want. The Goldberg spear is just so iconic from when he started. Um, the other one, I he would just hit him as hard as he could. He wasn't working. It was a shoot spear, man. You know who the other person that was doing a shoot spear? Rhino. That dude yes, would dude. fucking destroy dude, you. I was so afraid you were going to say Edge, and I was going to have to argue with you, man. Because to me, Edge's spear is like a running hug. No, that's the worst fucking spear. Rhino's spear is fucking nasty, dude. Like, I, dude. That's iffy to me, man, between Rhino and Goldberg for best spear ever. The gore was awesome. Hold on. So while we're doing this, we're going to do this on the fly because we're just going to get Seth's reaction to it. Google or YouTube Goldberg spear on Chavo Guerrero. All right. Let me pull this up real quick. Dude, Braun Breaker's got a pretty nice spear too, man. Have you, have you checked him out? I know you're not a huge NXT fan yeah. nowadays. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's look up Goldberg, Chavo Guerrero. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know how Chavo's still alive, dude. Look like straight up fucking bent him in half, man. Yeah, that one yeah. is really bad. Yeah, Goldberg had some wicked spears back in the day. Like I said, he would just straight up knock the fuck out of people. Uh, Sambro also says, "Who had the best choke slam?" I'm going with the giant, like in the early giant days, like '95, '96. He would he would lift them up so high, and back in the early days of it, he would actually kind of like jump and like go down to his knees as he's like slamming them down, and just really get some serious some serious follow through on that thing. So I'm going with the giant. I'm going the exact same way. I feel like everybody's choke slam since that has been a disappointment. Yeah, and his, dude, it was a great pro wrestling chokeslam because he would lift him all the way up. He's so high, and he'd hold him up there for about three seconds. You know what I mean? Let the let the audience really register what's going on before bringing him crashing down. Uh, let's go. Another question from Zach Hertzler. Not a question about finishers, but do you have certain beers you keep on hand while watching wrestling or just drink whatever's in the fridge? Me, I keep a nice stock of different beers on hand for wrestling and everything in general, but at times I would drink a beer I've had saved for big events. Um, I would never save anything just for wrestling as far as like my beer storage goes. Nowadays, you know, I've talked about it last handful of podcasts. Here. We're out in the sticks, so I don't have nearly the availability of craft beer that I used to have. So Miller Lite is really the only thing that I keep in constant stock. Um, when I was in Virginia, I had Smart Mouth and O'Connor Brewing, which I was just so fond of. They were both within about 10 minutes of my house. And each of those had a couple of their like non, their like standard beers that I really enjoyed. And I would keep those in the fridge at all times. But nowadays, it's pretty much just Miller Lite and a rotation of shit that I get just different stores. How about you, Jordan? What do you have that's like always in stock at your house? So I always have Bush Light in my fridge. Like there is, I mean, if, if there's not Bush Light in my fridge, there must be like a family emergency or something. Like something had to have gone <laughs> wrong that week. But uh, that, I try to make sure I at least have a four pack of Broken Skull at all times. Um, if I don't, I'll just take a quick trip down to Kansas City and get some because that's the closest place for me. Um, 
But yeah, and I always have IPAs in the fridge. We have a ton of really cool liquor stores and some cool breweries around here. So I've always got booze in the fridge. So if you're ever in Omaha, stop over to my house. We can have a couple beers. Damn straight. David Brooks says, do you have beef with matches that take three or four of a wrestler's finishing move to get a W? Yes. Yeah, I do, man. I think guys should get more creative on laying out these matches. I only want to see finishers getting kicked out of either at WrestleMania or if not WrestleMania, it at least needs to be like the main event of a, of a regular pay-per-view if a finisher is getting kicked out of. I'm going to take this one step further. I also have beef with wrestlers that have three or four different actual finishers. Like, dude, one finisher is plenty. We don't need we don't need you to do four different finishers and have to guess which one you're going to use for the finish of this match. Like, I, I hate that shit. <laughs> All right, last question. TNT, one of our most loyal followers, Tyson Trevino. This one's going. I'm gonna have you address this one, Jordan. It says, "Why is Kevin Nash power bomb called the jackknife, and what makes it different from a regular power bomb?" I think we already talked about why it's uh, why it's different. Why do you think they called it the jackknife? Is that just the uh, the diesel reference? Yeah, it's just based off diesel. Um, but yeah, dude, this this power bomb is just completely different than all their power bombs. If you go back and watch his matches and actually watch the finishes. He throws a mean power bomb. I mean, it ain't like anybody else's. Dude, to me, the nastiest one he throws, it's it's two of them. Go back to Survivor Series 95 after Brett beats him to end his world title reign. He puts some stank on both of those power bombs that he throws, man. And Brett actually talked about it in his book that Brett kind of felt a certain type of way about it uh, because he got slammed so hard um, after that match. You know, he thought Kevin Nash put a little bit of extra on it. I mean, Kevin Nash was was known to do some dickish things back in the day, so. All right, so this was a fun episode for us. Make sure you guys give us some feedback. Let us know what you want us to be talking about next. We got a few ideas in the hopper, but we are always open to your suggestions. We want to remind you guys, use code Chick Foley to save 10% at Ringside Collectibles. Jordan, hit us with some closing thoughts for this week. So, as always, we're going to talk. Where I'm going to say the same thing. Um, we appreciate you guys listening. We love doing these, and we're going to keep doing them as long as you guys keep listening. So we always appreciate it. Uh, closing quote today. Why have you not broken from the pack? You're playing it safe. Safe ain't going to get you shit in this world. Popping pillies, man, I feel just like a rock star All my brothers got that gas and they always be smoking like a rock star Fucking with me, call up on no Uzi and show up, man, them the shot toss When my homies pull up on your block, they make